Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. You know, for most of my adult life, I uh, went to a lot of denominational meetings. Some of those are national meetings. Some of those were more regional Presbyterian meetings. But... I don't know who was in charge of the planning of those, but they would frequently bring to us this successful pastor uh, who'd had a successful ministry. Um, be somebody from South Carolina, North Dakota, West Texas, and they'd been called to a church of 24 members. And as pastor there, it grew to 5,000. And they would bring these people and say, here's, here's what I did. You know, and we'd, I don't know what the motivation behind that was i'm not sure if it was that you know this is um this is going to get you inspired it's going to get you motivated or what whether it was uh here's this person did it right now you can go back to your not so good church and you can do it right um whatever it was whatever they were thinking it never worked because most of us who are there are pastoring one of America's majority churches. When I say a majority church, what I'm talking about is 80% of the churches in this country have 200 members or less. I was one of those pastors. Uh, I was at one of those, two of those churches actually at one time. And I never felt inspired. I never felt motivated. What I felt was there's somebody up there saying, you know, you are really pretty incompetent. You're really not getting it done. And, you know, um, fact, the truth is, you're a failure. And you need to get on the stick and become a 500,000-member pastor now, too, which I never did. You're always wiser in hindsight than you are when you're in the moment of something. But and one of the things I've realized over the years is that there's really nothing wrong with small churches. They're great places. And there are things that happen in small churches that don't happen in other settings. You have opportunities to get in some really deep, intimate relationships. There are uh, opportunities for one-on-one disciple-making, and uh, those are wonderful things. And, and small churches are wonderful places for that to happen. Over the series that you've been looking at in Scent, um, you've been looking at some very in- Major characters in the Bible, there's, uh, you've been with Joseph and then Moses, there has been Elijah, Jeremiah, Jesus, uh, and then the apostles as well. Now, Joseph, is there anybody in Scripture like Joseph? He is a stellar character. He is a man of incredible uh, integrity of, of personality. He is a man with deep faith that just seems to never fail. His trust in God is amazing. And when I look at Joseph and then I look at me, I'm thinking, gosh, I don't have that character that Joseph had. And I I don't always trust God to the extent that Joseph did, and particularly in the circumstances that Joseph was in. And let's look at Moses as well, the lawgiver, the man who talked to God face to face, who at the end of Deuteronomy were told, there has never been a prophet in Israel like Joseph. Moses. There's been a lot of pastors like me. I'm not the only one. Yeah. So Moses, again, is somebody I can't really look at and say, yeah, I've got so much in common with him. 
Same is true of Elijah, Jeremiah, men of incredible faith and incredible courage, uh, standing firm in their task, even when the opposition was so fierce. Uh, I cave a lot of times in life. I'm not like Elijah or like Jeremiah. Um, Jesus, of course, you're going to understand. He outshines me in every way. Uh, and the apostles. I mean, I can understand. I really appreciate the, the, the dynamics of the call that each one of them had to be sent. I, I get that. But as far as carrying out my sending the way they did, that's just not going to happen in all likelihood. I'm needing a different example. I need somebody who's a little bit more ordinary, a little bit more like me, and maybe you're feeling the same way today. If you are, let's look at one such example. So our text this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 20. We're looking at the resurrection that has happened. Uh, Mary, probably along with some other women, has gone to the tomb um, and has found the tomb empty. Uh, Peter and John have investigated, and now um, they've left. And Mary is there at the empty tomb all by herself. So picking up at verse 11 of John 20, this is the word of God. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, woman... Why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am sending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and she said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray together. Lord God, we would pray for clarity this morning, um, that you would speak to us through this passage, that you would wipe away uh, any misnomers that we have about what it means to serve and to speak on your behalf, that you would also help us to see not the difficulty in what you have commissioned us to do, but the ease of what it is. And we ask that you would once again, set us free with the truth of your word. And we pray that in Jesus' strong name. Amen. So the Mary we're dealing with is Mary Magdalene, or sometimes called Mary of Magdala. She was a Galilean woman. Luke tells us that Mary had been miraculously um, healed by Jesus, actually set free and delivered from uh, seven different demons. Um, Luke doesn't really go into uh, detail on what that involved, whether she was simply being oppressed by seven demons, whether she was possessed by seven demons, or uh, there's some other um, type of demonic activity in her life. But she was set free by Jesus. She then becomes one who is really a devotee of his. 
Um, she, along with some other Galilean women, um, accompanied Jesus and the twelve. They would uh, uh, provide for them. They uh, gave money to support them in, uh, in their travels, their ministry. And in time, when Jesus makes his final journey to Jerusalem, Mary goes as well. Um, she is there. Even when the disciples have fled, uh, she's at the foot of the cross where Jesus was crucified. And when he was dead, she, along with a handful of those other women, had resolved that they would be uh, embalming his body um, after, after Passover. And so they go to do that, and that's where we pick up today at the beginning of chapter 20. Uh, They find the tomb is empty, and Mary then runs to the 11 now, because Judas is no more. Um, She tells them what has happened. Peter runs uh, back to the tomb along with John. They check it out. Yes, it's empty. Um, And then they go back uh, to the others, but Mary stays, and this is when she has this encounter, not first with two angels, but then with Jesus himself. And... um, He says then, as she's there and recognizes who he is, um, in most translations, the words are, don't touch me. That's not exactly what Jesus said, though. Um, The word, Greek word there, means to cling. And the verb tense is a perfect. That means a continuing action. So in literal Greek, what Jesus is saying is, don't continue clinging to me. And evidently, that's, been, that's what she was doing. So in fact, what Jesus basically is kind of saying to Mary in this moment is, you know, Mary, I know you're thrilled to see me again. I'm really pleased to see you, but you need to stop hugging me now because I have a task for you to do, and I've got something I've got to do as well. Jesus needs to ascend to the Father, uh, no doubt did. Um, and uh, in fact, there are many scholars that say that uh, if you're thinking, well, yeah, but that doesn't happen until 40 days later, yeah. There are scholars who are saying there's probably multiple ascensions going on throughout those 40 days. Jesus going to the Father, coming back, going to the Father, coming back. Until that very final ascension we have 40 days later where he returns on a permanent basis. Um, but Jesus is saying, yeah, I've got something for you to do. I've got to do something as well. So Mary, his, she's adoring Jesus. Why not? Absolutely. Good gosh, he was dead Now he's alive. There he is, flesh and blood right in front of her. She is worshiping him. She's hugging him. She's loving him. She, and Jesus, you know, this is okay, but, okay, enough of that. (laughs) But worship is a good thing. And sometimes it's a wonderful thing. Psalm 95, great word. Come, let us worship the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 5, that incredible chapter where John is describing the worship of heaven, all the inhabitants of worship gathered around the throne singing the praises of God. is this glorious moment, and there are times when worship is that good. It's that glorious, and you feel it, and you're thinking to yourself, this is so grand. I just want to be here worshiping God for the rest of my life. And I think in those moments, Jesus would say to us, as he said to Mary, this has been nice, but I got work for you to do. Remember, uh, maybe it's the fifth chapter of Mark, where he talks about Jesus and the disciples. They cross over to the Decapolis, which is a 
that's the east side of the Jordan, mainly a Gentile, non-Jewish area. Uh, that makes it a little bit unclean. Uh, they go into a uh, cemetery, which is another unclean place, uh, and um, there they meet a man filled with unclean spirits, uh, and uh, Jesus casts out the spirits, and they want to go have some place to go. He said, well, there's some pigs. Okay, if you're a Jew, that's an unclean industry. Uh, so a lot of unclean stuff going on here. Um, and the pigs go running off the cliff, and they all drown, and... Uh, then Jesus and disciples get back in the boat. They're going to cross over to the other side into J- Jewish area now of Galilee. But the man wants to go with Jesus. And in his appeal, there's nothing in Mark that suggests that what he's wanting is to be a follower of Jesus. It's not like he's, I want to be one of your apostles. It's really, I just want to stay with you. I just want to keep being with you. I just want to keep understanding how wonderful you are. You've done for me what I couldn't do for myself. Nobody else could do anything to help me either. And you've set me free. I just, I can't get enough of you. Would you just let me stay with you? And Jesus says, no. Because I have something I need you to do. I want you to go home to your people and I want you to tell them the amazing things that God has done for you. A man had thanked Jesus, he had, he had adored him, but then Jesus had a commission to give him. And I think at times that I wish church campuses were referred to as mission stations. You know, we get, uh, our use of the word church is uh, really kind of all over the map. We have a lot of different designations for that, but one of them, it's property and buildings. Um, so, you know, you talk about Fremont Church. Where is Fremont Church? corner of Carlson and H Streets. Well, that's not true. You and I are the church, you know, and we're all over the place, but that's the term we use. And I wonder, what would it happen if we began to say, yeah, the Fremont Mission Station, corner of H and Carlson. Because here's, in the older times, when we had missionaries in foreign countries, um, what happened is they would be in the field, but they would eventually, at some point, on a regular basis, come back to the mission station. At the mission station, you were basically given some more training in what you were doing. You were also resupplied. And then you were sent back into the field. Missionaries in the field, to the mission station, back to the field. You and I, were out in our lives. We come to the mission station Sundays, maybe a couple other times during the week for a session meeting. That's not so much resupplying. That's, I don't know, that's draining. Anyway, um, Okay, sorry. Um, Then we go back to our lives. It's this flow of life. And we can't be good missionaries if we don't have that time of resupply and retraining. So we've got to have that. But that's not where we stay. Once that's done, then we need to go back out into the field. Jesus said to Mary, go to my brothers and say to them. So he gives her this task. And she's the first one to get it. You know. It's interesting that in Jewish courts of law 2,000 years ago, women were not allowed to give testimony because they weren't considered to be reliable witnesses. I don't know why. There's never any real reason given for that, just so they weren't allowed to testify. 
And I've always been intrigued that the very first witnesses by God's design to the resurrection are women. The very first person given a missionary task following the resurrection is a woman. It's Mary. And Jesus says, go and tell. Tell my brothers that you've seen me and tell them what I've said. And that's profound enough in itself. But what, you know, what really jumps out at me, and I, it's what her mission was not. It's what Jesus didn't tell her to do. He just simply said, go tell them what happened. Go tell them that you, you, you saw me, that I'm here. Tell them what I said. That's it. That's all you need to do. He did not say, Mary, I want you to go to my brothers and I want you to dispute with them. I want you to argue with them about the fact that I'm a resurrected. And there could be cause for that because according to Luke, when Mary did go back and say, I've seen the Lord, they didn't believe her. They took it as an idle tale. She's just making this up or she's having hallucinations or something. She's she's being a woman, you know. But he didn't tell her to dispute. He said, just tell him what happened. And tell him what I said. No need to get into, you know, some kind of dispute or, you know, arguing or whatever. Um, he didn't tell Mary to, listen, I want you to prepare a well-reasoned apologetic about why resurrections are possible. <laughs> and then discourse on that. was Tom Torrance, he was a famous uh, Scottish theologian, wrote a great book called Space, Time, and Resurrection. One of the very first theological books I ever read. Uh, Actually, I just kept turning pages uh, because I couldn't understand most of what he was saying. And the one thing that I got was, and he said, 2,000 years ago, somebody getting up out of a tomb after they were dead and walking around was no more believable to people back then than it is to us today. So don't think they were a bunch of ignorant people who just easily swallowed that idea. It didn't come naturally to anyone. It never has. And he said, you no. Know, so the disciples are going to be struggling with him. In fact, they continue to. Even in Matthew says they get all the way back to Galilee. Sometimes Jesus is about to descend. And the disciples, the 12, and now the 11, are still, some of them, doubting that it's really him standing in front of them. They're still struggling with it. But Jesus didn't say, you know, go convince them that I've been resurrected. Just tell them I have been. That's all you have to do. And he didn't instruct her to go and to criticize them and condemn them. He didn't say, Mary, I want you to go to my brothers and tell them, I am really disappointed that they were so cowardly in the face of the religious authorities. And you tell them I got some strong stuff to say when I finally get to be with them, you know. He didn't say to them, you know, I want you to go to my brothers and tell them that I'm really kind of ticked off. They all bailed on me when I got arrested. He didn't tell them or tell her, go and say to my brothers. How is it that I kept telling you over and over and over and over that once I died, I would be resurrected and you just didn't get it? Are you so stupid? No, (laughs) just go tell them that you've seen me and that this is what I said. It's a great text in uh, 
the second letter of Timothy, or the second letter to Timothy, actually, uh, Paul writing to his younger colleague, and he's giving him some uh, pastorly advice. Paul's been a pastor. He, Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, a younger pastor, but Paul is, uh, don't do this, don't do this. These are good things to do. These are good things to avoid. At one point he says, and have nothing to do with stupid and senseless arguments because you know they only breed quarrels. That's good advice. When you're a pastor, that's good advice. When you're a member of the session of the elders, that's good advice. When you're on Facebook, that's good advice. <laughs> and when you're talking to your faith about, about your faith, somebody else, that's good advice. You're not going to get anywhere with arguments. You're just going to breed quarrels and ill-feeling, resentment. Our task, our commission is to go and simply say, this is what happened. My wife and I met at a Christian camp when we were young. So it was a while back, you know. Um, but one of the other staff members uh, there was a fellow named Red Wynn. Red uh, was a Viking, literally. I mean, the guy was, he t- stood like 6'3", six, 6'4". Uh, had long blonde hair, big red beard, which might be where he got his name from, I don't know. Uh, But Red uh, had a very interesting way of talking. Every single thing he said concluded with the word man. First time I ever met him, he said, Hey, good to meet you, man. Hey, my my name's Red, man. What's your name? Dan? That's cool, man. Yeah. Where are you from, man? I said, Fresno, man? Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. You on staff here, man? Oh, yeah, cool. Hey, man, I got to get a shower, but I'll see you at dinner, man. So, yeah, you take care. Be cool, man. I was with him for three months. The end of the summer, I talked the very same way. You know, I said, everybody who knew me thinking, yeah, yeah, you're something happened. You're not right. I don't know. Red Wynn was one of the best evangelists I've ever heard in my life. And all I mean is, all he did was what Mary did. He just said, this is what happened. And he would talk to people and just say, you know, hey, hey, man, you know, a couple of years ago, I came to Christ, and man, he just made all the difference, man. He turned my life upside down, man. No, you know what, man? What he did? He turned my life right side up, man. That's what he did. It's been amazing. And that's about as much as Red said. If somebody would, you know, say, you know, I'm not into that religion stuff, he'd say, yeah, that's cool, man. But it happened, man. It's good. (laughs) And so Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Significant thing there, and it's very subtle, but Jesus sent Mary to these men who she knew. She's known them since Galilee. When Jesus delivered her up there, and then she began to support him and the twelve, and then followed them down to Jerusalem and continued through the crucifixion right up to the empty tomb, but she has known these men. And Jesus is not sending her to strangers. He's sending her to these people she was acquainted with. 
So about 30 years ago, they came out this movie called The Santa Claus. Um, some of you may know it. It's ancient now, like me. Um, but it, uh, interesting premise. So there's a fellow named Scott Calvin, played by Tim Allen, and uh, Santa Claus falls off his roof and expires, sadly. Um, and then uh, Tim, at the urging of his son, puts on the Santa suit, and they end up in the sleigh, and then they're delivering presents. They end up at the North Pole at the end of Christmas. And uh, Scott's wanting to go home, and uh, he meets this uh, head elf named Bernard. And Bernard's saying, yeah, see, you're the new Santa. And Scott's going, no, I'm not. He said, yeah, you are. You put on the suit, you're the guy. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not Santa. And he said, yeah, you're the guy. You read the card, right? And he said, yeah, I read the card. He said, well, then you're the new Santa. He said, no. What? He said, yeah, because the card's got the claws. He said, what, Santa Claus? He said, no, no, not Santa Claus the man. Santa Claus has the claws as the final line of a contract. And it goes on and on. He said, you're the new Santa. You put on the suit, you're the big guy. And he's starting to walk. Bernard's walking away from Scott Calvin. And Scott said, that's ridiculous. I am not. And then Bernard wheels on him and says, try to understand this. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to say it that aggressively. But I want you to try to understand this. Jesus' commission to you is not to go up to total strangers and ask them if they're saved. That's not the task. Remember our friend, the Gadarene demoniac, the fellow again, he's just, Jesus says to him, I want you to go home and go to your people. Very specific word used there. Not people as in an ethnic group, not people as in the citizens of your town or your community, your people as your intimates, your friends, your family. I want you to go to them and tell them everything the Lord has done for you. There is something in us. I don't know what it is. But we're always trying to take what is usually pretty simple and make it as difficult as we possibly can, you know? And what Jesus is telling us is not that hard, but we want to go, oh, yeah, well, this gets into all these nuances and there's all these other things we need to do and all these other things we need to be about. And it's just go tell the people you know what Jesus has done, what he said. Rodney Stark wrote a great book called The Rise of Christianity, and uh, he charts um, the growth of Christianity from the first century up until about the year 500, which, and it's exponential growth. It's amazing growth. And he says, the way that was happening is not through these really uh, structured evangelistic campaigns. It's just Christians talking to people. It's a slave girl who's tending to her mistress, and in the process, she will say something to the effect of, you know, um, Jesus said that God loves the flowers of the field. That's why he makes them so beautiful. And he says, but he loves us humans far more. And the mistress hears that. And as she continues to hear things like that, she gets intrigued. And then she begins to wonder and she begins to seek and she eventually ends up in a worship service and eventually comes to Christ herself. Or there's a shopkeeper, and he's got his stall, and his stall's right next to the fellow next door who's got his stall. And the shopkeeper, every once in a while, just says, you know, Jesus once said, it's better to give than to receive. I'm still trying to figure out how to live that in my life. And the other shopkeeper hears that. And maybe it's just water off a duck's back at first, but after a while it begins to 
sink in. And he begins to become intrigued and interested and eventually opens up a little and starts to seek and eventually finds or actually gets found. First time I ever witnessed my faith, um, I didn't think I did that great a job. But in hindsight, I think I did a pretty good. I think I nailed it. I was in Fresno. I worked for a bus company uh, back in my college days. And uh, every morning, I'd go down to the bus barn and uh, meet with the other drivers. And we'd have coffee before we go out and start our morning routes. Uh, One of the fellows, uh, the other bus driver's named Tom, came a weekend where Tom and I both had a charter, same charter. We were, our buses were picking up uh, radiologists. Do we have any radiologists here? They're crazy people. Anyway, (laughs) boy, they get away from the hospital. They're nuts. Anyway, um, so we're picking up all these radiologists, take them out to this ranch somewhere way outside of Fresno, and there's a big barbecue out there, and the the uh, music farmers, which was a famous string band in Fresno at the time, they were playing, and the people were doing dancing and Virginia reels and all kinds of stuff. It's a great evening. Anyway, at dinner time, uh, Tom and I were off sitting on a hay bale. Tom starts talking about, uh, for whatever reason, uptight people. There's so, there's so many uptight people in the world. And uh, at one point he says to me, but you always seem kind of together. What's your secret? And I've been a Christian at that point maybe a year and a half. Um, and I thought, well, I could dodge this. And I'm kind of leaning that way. Or I could do it. So here goes nothing. And maybe I said to Tom, I said, you know, well, thanks for thinking I'm together. But, you know, I said, honestly, most of my life I've been one of those uptight people. Uh, but a little over a year ago, I decided that I wanted Jesus Christ to be in charge of my life, and uh, it's been a whole lot better ever since. That's it. That's all I said. And Tom, much like Red Winson, that's really cool, man. (laughs) We are ordinary people called to do this really extraordinary work. And that's simply saying, this is what happened. This is what Jesus said. Now, Mary Magdalene, is, uh, she never wrote a gospel. We have no gospel according to Mary Magdalene. We have no letters that she wrote that ended up being a part of the New Testament canon. If you ask... Any number of Christians, name as many of Jesus' followers from the New Testament as you possibly can. Most people will leave out Mary Magdalene. They won't even mention her. She's just an ordinary woman who was given this very extraordinary task. Go tell my disciples that I'm risen. I'm not going to become famous realized that about two decades ago. Most of us here are not. But Jesus says to us, he says the same thing he said to Mary, same thing he said to the Gadarene man he delivered from the demons, same thing he said 
to his followers for 2,000 years. Same message he gave to Red Wind. Just go tell them. Jesus turned my life right side up, and it's been good, man. So let's pray together. Lord, the gospel is not simplistic, but it is simple. And the commission that you give to us, again, is not simplistic, but it is simple. Just go tell them. But we confess that there is that in us that wants always to make everything so difficult, so hard, so contentious. And you have not called us to do that. So we pray today that this word you've given to us would go down deep. That we would not just understand it, but we would bring it into our very souls. And it would be how we now function from this point going forward. That we would come back to this mission station again and again and again to be retrained, to be filled, but then go out. And go out at ease, go out in peace, go out knowing that we don't have to argue, we don't have to defend, we don't have to reason. All we have to do is to say, this is what happened to me in my encounter with Jesus. And may we even look forward to that. And every time we share that, oh God, may you be honored once again. And may you take our words and continue to feed them into the lives of those who hear so that in time they too will be one who is sent into this world. We ask for that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the Sanctuary for Classic Worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for Modern Worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.